Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 94. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. Back once again this week to discuss Teen Beach 2. Now, last week, we sat there and we shared an affinity for Teen Beach movie. And I have to admit to you, I was cautiously optimistic going into this week because, to be completely honest with you, our history of DCOM sequels has been, at best, lackluster. Yeah, looking at you, High School Musical. Absolutely. And especially with this one, too, you know, we picked these movies because we wanted to do a whole celebration of summer. And this one's kind of a buzzkill because they're going back to school. Uh, yeah, I mean, in a normal circumstance, I would say nobody wants to think about going back to school. But I think for so many people who have not been in a building, have not left their house for so long. Who have the kiddos home. Yeah, I think the idea of either going back to school or sending the kids back to school is something that is very appealing right now, even though we are at the start of the summer. But we're not going to have to worry about sending the school the kids back to school for another couple of months here but what we do have to concern ourselves with is teen beach 2 how does it stack up to the original is it as good as the original is it not as good as the original and we're about to start discussing that right now so when we reunite with brady and mac they are celebrating three months since the day they met with a screening of wet side story on the beach they head out for a night surf, and Brady expresses his concern that their relationship may be different once school starts. Mac dismisses him, but then realizes she lost the necklace that Layla gave her during their surf. Instead of looking for it, Mac says they should head in since school begins the next morning. At school, Brady and Mac are surprised to learn how differently the other is acting. Though Brady is his usual laid-back self, his mind is still on surfing and designing boards instead of his schoolwork, which he assumes Mac won't approve of. So he hides his hobby from her. Mac barely notices between all of her club activities, planning the school dance, and attending the college fair, which Brady was supposed to meet her at. Brady lost track of time working on his board and arrived late, causing Mac to get upset, and they fight over their priorities, resulting in a sort of breakup. In the movie universe of Wet Side Story, Layla is struggling with her own priorities, and instead of falling for Tanner, she heads out to the beach where she finds Mac's necklace washed up. Thinking Mac may be in trouble, Layla and Tanner head out into the water and end up on the beach in the future, where they find Mac and Brady. Instead of telling the truth, Brady and Mac try to show Layla and Tanner that the real world is not as nice as it seems in hopes they return back to their movie, where the rest of the cast is lost without them. Layla and Tanner insist on coming to school, where Mac and Brady play them off as their foreign cousins. After spending the day with Mac, Layla has never been happier and wants to live her new life to the fullest, which worries Tanner because he is afraid he won't be enough for her. When Tanner voices his concerns to Brady, Brady reveals that he is having the same issue, feeling like Mac no longer needs him, and shows Tanner the boards he thinks she wouldn't approve of. The more time Layla and Tanner are spending with Mac and Brady, the more they become part of the real world, which causes the cast of Wet Side Story to disappear one by one. Butchie, Layla's brother, realizes the problem started when she left with Tanner. He finds her necklace washed up on the beach and uses it to bring the cast of Wet Side Story out of their movie to save Layla and Tanner. When the cast reunites, Brady and Mac realize that without their leads, there is no more movie, so all of the characters must go back. The cast of Wet Side Story returns to the film using the necklace, but can't stay knowing things aren't right with Brady and Mac. The cast of Wet Side Story crashes the Save the Beach dance, and in true musical fashion, a big dance number brings Brady and Mac back together. 
as the cast of Wet Side Story prepares to return to their movie for good. Butchie disappears with the necklace, leaving the few cast members who have not yet disappeared stranded in the real world. Layla asks Brady and Mac how they arrived in Wet Side Story without the necklace the first time, and they run to get Mac's grandfather's surfboard. When Brady and Mac get to the beach, only Layla and Tana are left, and even worse, there is no surf. Brady goes to get one of his surfboard designs that will create its own waves, revealing his hobby to Mac, which she loves because it is just like the work her grandfather does. They take the flower emblem from her grandfather's board and apply it to Brady's design to save Layla and Tanner. Before sending them off, Mac tells Layla she doesn't need to feel stuck and that she can rewrite her own story, which becomes her new movie. Without Wet Side Story, Brady and Mac never got to meet, so their history is erased, but they are able to find each other again at the Save the Beach fundraiser where they are screening Layla, Queen of the Beach, and thus completely unraveling everything we know about the first film. The ending of this film makes no sense. And usually I don't do this. Usually I will go and start breaking down a plot starting from the very beginning. But I would be remiss if I didn't say this right from the jump. I have absolutely no issues with Mac telling Layla to rewrite the movie. I have no problem with Mac telling Layla to crush the stereotype, be her own person, and, and and that's all well and good. Here's what makes no sense. They did not meet because of Wet Side Story. This is Mac and Brady. They met because Brady was watching his favorite movie on his tablet at the beach, and Mac just happened to be walking by. It doesn't change the fact that Brady surfs. It doesn't change the fact that Mac surfs. It doesn't change the fact that they're both at the beach. It does not change the fact that Brady would have been watching his favorite movie on his tablet. It would not have been Wet Side Story, but it would have been something else. Right. All he had to do was be there. He could have been watching Pulp Fiction for all we care. Right. Here's the thing. When you sat me down to watch this, Sean had seen this one. You had seen both of them, and and I had not. I had watched Teen Beach Movie prior to doing our review of it, but I had never seen the second one. So I came in completely green on this one. And you warned me how much of a letdown it was going to be. I will say this. This wasn't like Sopranos bad. It wasn't. Dexter bad in my opinion and I think it's a little bit different with a television series where before streaming you invested like years years of your life so those are very drastic letdowns with this one I was trying to keep an open mind on my first viewing but then on our second viewing knowing what was going to happen all I was paying attention to was how much this does not line up with the first one and completely negates everything we know about the first one. Uh, yeah, and I think that that is my biggest issue with this movie. I mean, I got a lot of issues with it, so now we can start getting... Well, I want to talk about some of the good first. Yeah. I really like what Brady does for Mac at the beginning of the movie with the setup on the beach. Brady is pulling out the all-star perfect boyfriend move. Like, this would have been appropriate for a proposal, that's how good it is. Uh, yeah. I mean, he killed it. Yeah. And this is just like, hey, happy you stayed. Basically, happy you stayed. And I think they said it was their three-month meet-aversary. That was kind of cheesy. Okay. But, but they're, still, they're kids. it's just like, 
Brady's like the perfect boyfriend. Like we we didn't get that from the first one when he bends over backwards for her the entire time, and now now he pulls this one out. Come on, and Mac says to him, "You did all of this for me." Like she's astonished that he would do all of this for her. So that's gonna set up some. It's gonna set up some conflict later on in the movie. Well, I think that's it, though. I mean, it does establish where they're at in the relationship. They're three months in. It's still young love. They haven't said I love you to each other yet. So I think it's still kind of that, you know, she's not ready for that yet. Sure. Um, They are, I thought it was interesting, too. They shot this in the exact same place they did the meant-to-be scene. Yes. In Wet Side Story, like once Mac and Brady become a part of the movie. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. I don't know if that was coincidental because they were shooting on the same beach in Puerto Rico or if it was very intentional where it's like he set up this movie in the spot where they met and, you know, that's the song. They're the meant to be. And clearly Mac doesn't realize it yet because she's still astonished that he pulled out a move like this. <laughs> I'm sure it was done intentionally. I think if you if you haven't watched the movies back to back, you probably don't catch on to it. I think the fact that we watched both of these movies in total like six times in the last week <laughs> and a half is what stands out more to us. Um, I like the setup of losing the necklace actually, because when when the cast, okay, when the cast of Wet Side Story comes out at the end of Teen Beach 1. Remember, it's all of them. It's not just Layla and Tanner. It's Butchie. I think Seacat's there. I think Giggles is there. I'm pretty sure Chi-Chi's there. There's like six of them that come out of the water. You can't figure out exactly how they made it work. I like that they go back to this heart of the ocean piece <laughs> of pirate treasure thing where it goes into the water and it opens up this portal of magic. Yeah, I kind of thought that it was a little bit on the nose that she lost the necklace because they are talking about the potential for their relationship not to be the same. And it's like, oh no, she lost the necklace. And that was like their whole symbol of how they got into the movie and, and their symbol of their relationship. So I was kind of rolling my eyes, but like you do need for the sake of the time travel, you do need like a sort of talisman to hang on to. Sure. And because the cast doesn't have the board, yeah, you did need a way for them to get back there. But you bring up an interesting point. The cast at the end of the first movie, granted it was an after the credit scene, they still got to Mac and Brady's beach. They did not have the necklace and they were already there. So you would think that maybe that's where we pick up with this movie. It's not compounded with the fact, and this is where they, they drop the ball out of the gate. We really don't establish how much time has passed. I mean, you you can assume in the first movie that when Mac's aunt comes to get her and bring her to the prep school or whatever it is, um, she probably got, what, like a week before school starts maybe? They, yeah. they established they just had the best summer ever. Um, so you figure Mac's got to pack up and then they got to fly back to wherever she's going and she's got to set up her new life and whatever. So figure that's about a week. But what I really find unbelievable is that 
in a week, Mac has managed to enlist herself in all of these club activities at a school that she didn't even know she was going to be attending not a week ago. Yeah, absolutely none of that makes sense. Um, the way that she discusses Wet Side Story, I'm jumping around a little bit here, but but I'm, it proves your point, though. Um, there's a scene where um, Brady gets excited over the idea of this dance that Mac's going to have as the Save the Ocean or Save the Beach dance. And he goes, oh, it could be Wet Side Story themed and people could wear costumes. And she's like, I love Wet Side Story too, but nobody else is going to want to do that. I understand you just lived this adventure, but are you telling me that within a week you would have all of a sudden loved Wet Side Story? Because she certainly shows an affinity for it when they watch it on the beach at the beginning of the movie in the spot where they met for their three-month anniversary. Now she's saying she loves it here. I just feel like you're cramming an awful lot into a very small window. Right. And it still doesn't line up no. with where you left them at the end of the first one, especially with regard to Wet Side Story. I think the conflict that they're having as far as their relationship where she's super busy and Brady just wants to be Brady. I think that's realistic. I think that's kind of natural growing pains. Um, and they do address it because Mac tells her super annoying friend. Uh, that's a new cast member. Alyssa, that we, think, Yeah. Right? Um, we meet her at the beginning of this movie. You know, she's like, Oh, I'm so happy. Alyssa tells Mac, I'm so happy that you stayed. Um, and Max says, I want to make the most out of my time here. But that kind of goes against Max. I mean, I mean, it's fitting for the character because she was going to go to that school for the sake of her mom because right. her mom wanted her to be successful. So it works in that regard that she wants to make the most out of her experience and do the most that she can, especially being that she stayed. But what doesn't make sense for her character is that when they ended the first film, she didn't know what she wanted to do. She just right. knew that she wanted to stay. So instead of diving head first into all of these activities where she has, which makes no sense, again, higher up positions, you were leaving school, all of this would have been decided at the end of last year. Yeah, and how are you on the first day of school this far behind schedule with planning a dance? Exactly. There's just everything about this chunk of the movie is irrational. That's what I'm saying. Like in a real world situation, if you're doing something the first week of school, some some groups are required to go in over the summer. Like with band. I was in the school band and we played at the football games and we had to go to pardon me, but band camp over the summer. Don't even make the joke. It's too easy. Not going to. But we did we had to do like a week long where we, you know, if we had a summer job, we were taken off from work. And we had to go learn the routines because it was like by the first or second week of school. You're into football We're games. performing, yeah. And they gave you, you know, time to breathe just to get acclimated to your classes and stuff. They weren't going to throw that at you as an after school activity, you know, first thing back. So that's what I just kind of find hard to believe. And I feel like they could have addressed it a little bit more how she's got all of this going on, especially when she didn't even know she was going to be there. The other thing I want to talk about while we're on the topic of things that make no sense, which I think is sort of a common theme for our review of this film in totality, is the fact that Brady finds it necessary to hide the surfboard building from Mac. 
It makes no sense. And I'll tell you why. Because, number one, it is their common interest. I know that once school starts, she's not focused on surfing anymore. And you know what? There are some time. There are certain lines in this film and scenes where she does knock him down. We'll talk about those in a minute here. One in particular that I thought was a little nasty. Um, when I think it goes understated how nasty it is. Um, but in spite of the fact that he's very much about being himself throughout the entire school year and she's, you know, all about the schoolwork, it shows his motivation. Mm-hmm. Engineering, art. Design. design. You know, he. there's a future here. Plus, as you pointed out in your, in your uh, plot synopsis there, um, it's what her grandfather did. Right. So it makes no sense at all that he would hide this from her other than the fact that she does knock him down. Basically from the minute they get to school and he, I guess, finds that intimidating. No, and the thing about it, too, I love this direction for Brady, too, because what her grandfather is doing is an art form and he's doing it in a very traditional way, Brady is making this contemporary by adding all these designs and making a surfboard portable and, you know, adding all these bells and whistles. So it's really cool. And you're right. It is their shared hobby. So what I don't like is that part of the reason, and and this was a big issue that we talked about last week, was that Mac made it a point to say that she didn't want to stay for a boy. She wanted to stay for the lifestyle. So you're telling me that like you're so hyper focused on school, you're just not going to surf at all during the year. You're not going to do your hobby. You're not going to get any form of exercise. It's just going to be school, school, school and after school activities and you're only allowed to surf during the summer. That's kind of the restrictions that they put on her. And I, I get why they did it to create this conflict so that she could knock Brady down. But it's like, it, it it's just not realistic that they're not giving her a life outside of school. And the fact that she made the decision to stay home so that, and she says, I want to stay home. I want to surf. This is what she says at the end of the first movie. Right. So it's like, why isn't she, that's the other thing I don't really believe about her. She's in like all of these like student council type of clubs and the I dance buy committee. I that she would do those things. I do too, but it's like, why aren't you in the surf club? I mean, she talks about an oceanography club, but like, it they they forced Brady and Mac into these archetype characters, and she's treating him like he's some kind of burnout surfer, like like a Spicoli yeah, or something. Exactly. And for those younger in the audience, Jeff Spicoli <laughs> is from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Watch it when you're 17. Yeah, definitely not suitable for children. But that's how she's treating him. And that's not what he is at all. And I don't right. buy this from her. She's dressing the part. She's always been a little bit of a tomboy. And now she's wearing like all of these like she's practically wearing a blazer to school. Yeah. And uh other than the fact that everything that she is doing and most of what she is saying early on here contradicts either things that she said or did at the end of the first movie. So somehow over the course of a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, we don't really know. She sort of hit the rewind button the minute she gets onto school property. Let's rewind again within this movie. I cannot believe we are 20 something minutes into this review just about 
and we haven't gotten past the first like seven minutes of this movie. Because it goes off the rails from the jump. From the jump. Because she is, she sits there and she says to Brady, I can't believe you would do this for me when he does the setup on the beach and they're watching Wet Side Story. Now they come to school and she knocks him for wearing his flip-flops. First, now let me point out <sighs> to you, let me point out, I have not been in high school for almost half your life now. 15 years. I've... I have been out of high school now 15 years. It'll be 15 years in about nine days, actually, if we're, if we're looking to be exact about this. And 15 years ago, almost 20 years ago, kids in high school would show up with wet heads, sweatpants, a T-shirt, flip-flops, looking like they just rolled out of bed. So the fact that Brady who's a surfer in what we believe is likely Southern California, who attends a school on the coast, and it's hot outside, the fact that he would show up wearing flip-flops is not uncharacteristic to him and should not be uncharacteristic to anybody else in that school. And it should not come as a surprise to Mac at all. And the fact that she calls him on it I felt was out of character for somebody that gave up going to a prep school so that she could come home and be a surfer. Oh, but wait, we're not surfing anymore. She's acting, you know, it's like a classic high school movie scene when the girl that's out of your league is approached by a guy that she deems beneath yes. her. That's how she's treating him. Absolutely. And go so far, and this is the line I was alluding to earlier. When they discuss going to the college fair. By the way, on the first day of school, what, which what also school makes does no that? sense. Which also makes zero sense. She says, you'll be here. He says, yes. And she says, in actual shoes. Ouch. I don't, I, I said it before, I think it is understated how mean that line is and how condescending it is that she would say that to him. Somebody that would have done anything possible to A, keep her on the coast when she was going to the prep school, B, got her out of Wet Side Story when he had no interest in ever leaving it so that he could get her back here to go to her prep school Threw her a little party on the beach. I mean, he loves this girl. He really does. And for her to go out of the way and say something like that, it's such it, it's not just a knock at his shoes. That's that's what is needs to be pointed out here. It's not just a knock at his shoes, it's a knock at him as a person. And I think that he takes it on the chin. Because he cares about her so much. And I think that at times he does feel like she's out of his league. He is intimidated by her. I think that we learn that very on, very early on in this movie. Even in the first one. Absolutely. Because he knows that he's never going to stand in her way 
from her goals. But I just can't get over the fact that she would take a shot at his character like that. And I don't think I'm looking too too much into anything here. No, she's treating him like dirt. I mean, it does set up the context for the rest of the movie, like later on when he has the heart-to-heart with Tanner, when he says he feels like he's never going to be good enough for her. And that's kind of where they're making this deeper than it should be because it's not just an issue of her not having enough time and being too busy for their relationship and it not being the same as the summer. Now it's, he feels like he's never going to measure up for her. Right. And when she, I mean, listen, he was not the sole purpose for her staying. He was not her sole motivation for staying but he was a part of it. And, and you would think that, I mean, that's the thing. How long was it between the start of Teen Beach 2 and the end of Teen Beach 1? You would think that this relationship would have grown and would have blossomed a little bit more so that this wouldn't even be a worry of theirs when they got to school. And I feel like, like when Alyssa, and we meet his bro, Devin, when Ugh, they meet each other, awful. when the four of them meet each other for the first time, Alyssa goes, that's your boyfriend. And it's it's very judgy. So you do get the feeling that they were sort of justified in wondering what school life would be like because they clearly come from two very different social circles. Mm-hmm. In the microclimate that is high school. However, so, and you can also say it parallels Wet Side Story in a way, which would have worked if they would have played up on that a little bit more if they each had, oh, I don't know, more than one friend. That's a really great point. Yeah, if they had done it with groups of friends and you showed them, that, that would have actually been like a great scene and great conflict, like when it comes time to sit in the cafeteria. Yep. You would go have lunch with your boyfriend, right? But if your girlfriends don't want you to go over there, it would create some tension. That's the other thing. I find it ridiculous. And I mean, okay, maybe it's a big school. Even if you've never interacted with someone, you know who they are. You've seen them. You've passed them in the hall. Like, no school is that big no. where you don't know somebody by sight. And you kind of get the impression that they're, like, starting their junior year because they're not... They're doing their college applications, which is normally junior year. Senior year is like too late because you already right. know where you're going. And you're committed already, to the school. We already know that the first half of high school. Right. It was the first half. So they do set it up. Right. In the first movie, although you, we're throwing the first movie away yeah. here in the second movie. But yes, they're they're going into junior year. Yeah. So by junior year, you don't know who people are and you've spent two years with them. I could understand maybe it's like an incoming freshman. Sure. Or if she was the new girl that came from the prep school. Yeah, but I find it ridiculous that, like, her friend doesn't know Brady. Or does know him and is immediately judging him. Right. The other thing, you know, and it's also, it's not nearly as mean as what you were talking about with the dig at his flip-flops. When they're in, what is it, biology? Some yeah. so, some sort of science class. Chemistry, maybe? Yeah. She partners. Oh, no, they're in um, marine biology together. So why they were doing that experiment in marine biology right, makes she no sense. Says it. She says third we period. have third period marine biology. I'll see you there. So instead, we had to do we had to do the wacky experiment where everything foams and sizzles. I mean, look, they're not going to dissect a turtle in a decom. Well, of course not. 
or or a, a frog or whatever. But anyway, you it, it would have been like that potential cafeteria scene that yeah. we're setting up. She partners with Alyssa and Brady partners with Devin. Why wouldn't you partner together? The thing that bothers me about this scene, th- that's not even it. It's that Devin causes the reaction and the thing explodes or whatever. Not even explodes. It bubbles over. But Mac is like so embarrassed by them. That's your boyfriend. Like go over and help him. If you're so smart, maybe point out how they could have done better. It would have been more effective if they were partnered together and Brady did that and she was embarrassed. Instead, they do the whole, you know, where he won't show her the surfboard thing. Yeah. Which which just doesn't make sense. And at this point, too, I'm thinking that he's building her aboard, and that's yeah. why he wants to surprise her. How are we still this early into the movie? <laughs> this know. makes no sense. Well, like I said, it goes it goes off track right away. There's right so away. many contradictions to the first one. And even in the context of just this one, there's a lot that they're setting up now that doesn't make sense. Right. But all right. Let let's get out of the scene. Let's get out of the beginning. Well, let's get to let's get to this college fair thing. Okay. Okay. Where he is working on his boards in his workshop. He loses track of time. His workshop is rad. Yeah. I thought at first that that was the house, and I was like, "All right, this is a little too on the nose." That like Brady lives in a treehouse or something. But the fact that this is just his his little man cave. It's really awesome. It's a treehouse. It's on the beach, on the coast in California. It's probably a half a million dollars. Easily. So Brady has this half million dollar treehouse where he does his exper- where he does his work, and it's great. Um, aesthetically, it looks cool, so I, I'm t- I totally get it. He loses track of time. It happens. It starts to pour rain for effect. And he's 45 minutes late and misses the entire college fair. A college fair on the first day of school that lasts under 45 minutes. And this bickering fight that Mac and Brady have, it is so... Even even in spite of the fact that Mac really was very mean and took a shot at Brady's character, this just seems too childish, too mean, and completely out of character for either one of them. No, and I think that's what you like so much about them in the first one is because they do... I mean, look, we we love the first one. We went on record last week saying it. You got two grown-ass adults to fall in love with this decom. Two adults near their mid-30s fell in love with a decom called Teen Beach Movie. Because it's a fun movie and they did it well, but I think as far as liking Mac and Brady, it's because they were so mature. Right, and even some of the issues that we had with Mac aren't even so much with Mac, so much as it is that the way that she's written in the first movie. Right. Because I had said I thought she was a strong character that just pouted too much. Exactly. And, and here, like, they're above this. They are so above this. And that's the other thing. They don't even really break up because it's not like, fine, it's over. It's just like, I'll see you at the end of the year. So they never explicitly say they're breaking up. It's just that Brady's frustrated, you know, and he joked about it earlier on. He was like, all right, how's Easter looking for you? Yeah. So, you know, now he's taking the dig 
that she's not making enough time. She's not prioritizing their relationship, but they still never really break up. It's he's just taken a jab that like she's not going to have the time for him unless it's the summer. Yeah, absolutely none of that makes any sort of sense. I also don't like the fact that they sort of dumb Brady down. Yes. Because he do- he pulls out all the stops for Mac. I'm not going to beat that dead horse again. But as soon as Devin gets involved, it's like stupid by proxy. Because Devin gets there and he goes... I didn't bring my book bag, but I brought my pen. And he pulls out like a granola bar and he goes, how long's that been in there? And he eats it like n- no guy's going to do that in front of his girlfriend, number one. Number two, nobody's going to confuse a granola bar with a pen other than a Jeff Spicoli. But like the fact that you have a strong, smart character, a loving character, a caring character that I think everybody can connect with. And you basically just dumped a bucket of water on his head. Exactly. For the sake of of bad comedy, because it's not even that funny. No. Let's go into the world of Wet Side Story. Yes, finally. Um, again, going against the first movie, I think that Layla starting to question herself and all of this soul searching that she's doing. How? How is that even possible? She's a character in a film. I don't have an issue with that. In fact, I, I kind of like that because you had to somehow get them into the real world. And I feel that Layla Layla needed growth, right? And you were seeing it at the end of the first film because you could see that she wasn't fulfilled. And you start to see Tanner even grow a little bit towards the end of the first film, even though he is there for comic relief. I didn't mind this at all because you needed a means to get them to the real world. I Of all of the things that they did in this movie that made no sense, the one thing they did that I think did make sense was trying to give Layla a motivation to grow as a person. I'll give you that, but I guess this is where they needed to really make a clear-cut definition you had discussed last week all of the parallels to Back to the Future, and there are many. So they went out of their way to demonstrate how inserting Mac and Brady into this film resets the course of it and would affect Mac and Brady's real-life future. Sure. So I guess in my mind, I'm kind of thinking that Wet Side Story is like a Groundhog's Day where once you don't interfere with the film, it's just going to play out start to finish all over again. I guess I'm thinking of the wet side story characters as too one-dimensional and too stuck in this world. But again, this is where the second film sort of needed to define that more because, okay, Layla takes the lessons that Mac taught her and now she's starting to think things over. But the problem that this creates is that it makes the franchise all about time travel instead of being sucked in and out of a film. And that's what I really don't like about the second one is that when Layla and Tanner eventually come out, it focuses on all of the technology and all of these things that they don't know. And... 
it's not focusing on the fact that they're coming out of the movie and they shouldn't understand how to act in this new world. The time travel thing happens because Mac and Brady are going into a movie that happened to take place in the 60s. And that really only affects things like in the first one when, when they first land there, Brady wants to use a cell phone to call for help. And the cell phone has not been invented yet. So in that context, it works. But I think they sort of lost sight of working within the confines of your jumping in and out of a film and it becomes too much about the time travel. And I think they also lost the opportunity for a lot of comedy there too. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, the, the literally fish out of water when Tanner and Layla come out of the ocean and they're bone dry, which is hysterical. So right. you carried that over from the first movie. Um, and I have to say, I, uh, Tanner is still hilarious. You you still have... The whole cast is great when you see them in the world of Wet Side Story, but especially Tanner, when he comes out of the water and he's on the beach and he's got the cell phone, he picks up where he left off, but it doesn't come off as something that they've beaten to death. The comedy, it's still legitimately funny, as is, I think, um, Layla's vocabulary. Jeepers, jeepers. Every time something happens, it's great. Seeing the scuba divers, calling them rubber people. It, yeah. These are things that, remember, it's not just that they've never seen it before in regards to time travel. They've never seen it before because they've never left the set of their movie. And that goes back to what you were saying. Exactly. I, I think there could have been the potential for so much more comedy here. Like, Tanner, for example, I think they dumbed him down a little bit, too, but he got funnier. Like, all of my laugh-out-loud moment, moments watching this were because of Tanner's lines. But I feel like instead of, okay, the cell phone bit, you've never seen a cell phone, fine, that works. That's kind of a device with any time travel movie now where they jump into the future and they don't know what a cell phone is. But I feel like with Tanner, it could have worked and been more funny because, you know, he's the perfect leading man. His teeth sparkle. Maybe he doesn't know what to do offset, like to find his perfect light or like get his good side. And I think they could have played that up a little bit more and it would have been better. Another error with the scene that I find unbelievable when they reunite with Mac and Brady Mac is cleaning the beach on right. what we can assume because it's during the day. I don't think this is after school. I think it's a weekend. So this is like another one of her club activities. You're telling me you clean the beach, you went to the beach, and then you didn't go surfing. Or that like this was not something that you and Brady did throughout the summer just because you like going to the beach and you want to do a good thing. Or how about the fact that your bickering ends abruptly just because Layla and Tanner show up on the beach. Wouldn't it have served the story better if they were still fighting, but were trying to hide it and, and work together and hide the fact that they were arguing from Layla and Tanner because their sole purpose was help Layla and Tanner? It was like, oh no, the fight's over. I mean, I get it. Even if you're fighting, you have shared such a unique experience jumping in and out of a movie that, you know, everything kind of fades away when now these two characters have come to find you. But I think it would have definitely served the story better later on when Layla and Tanner come back to fix them. Right. Because other than Mac 
saying that Brady was acting weird to Layla and Brady saying that he felt like he wasn't good enough for Tanner, they don't establish that they're broken up. Yeah, they never do. Because they never actually break up. It's just, we're on break until next summer. Fine. Well, fine. They are the Ross and Rachel of the beach. It's pretty bad. But I'll tell you what works in terms of comedy here. When they decide they're going to take Layla and Tanner to school, and Layla starts trying on Mac's clothes. Love it. And she takes something that belongs to Mac, and she puts it on, and she goes into the closet, and as soon as she comes out... It looks like something from the 1960s, refashioned to look like something from the 60s. Yeah, like Mac hands her the pink dress and she walks out looking like Jackie O. It's hysterical. But that's what I'm talking about. This was an instance where they used out of the movie and not into the future for comedic effect. Yeah. And they should have done it more. Yeah. And then they get them into school and... It is as funny as you think it's going to be with Tanner specifically walking down the hallway and you can't you can't quite figure out at first whether people are enthralled by them, confused by them or are making fun of them. That yeah. kind of gets played out later in a cafeteria scene, but it's a little confusing. Yeah, because they are looking at his wardrobe. It's clear that he stands out, but they should, if he still has the Tanner effect on everybody, they should be swooning. And some of the girls are, but then some of them aren't. They had to go all or nothing and they didn't. And they didn't. I think characters starting to disappear from Wet Side Story was fine. Because you had to give them a motivation to get back into Wet Side Story. But that also works as far as the first... This is the one instance where it lines up with the first film where either inserting or in this case removing characters affects the entire movie and the movie world. Because this is not about time travel anymore. It has to do with resetting the course. This is also another parallel to Back Back to the Future because it's not just about, you know, Marty trying to get back. This is when his course is reset and he's got to reunite his parents. Because they've never been born, he and his siblings. Exactly. So now you're taking, in, in the first film, it was that aspect of having to reunite Layla and Tanner. Now it's resetting the course of this film and having that later... And again, this is this is really where it fell, falls apart. It should affect the film, not Mac and Brady. Yeah. I do like how Layla starts absorbing all of this information in school. And it she's doing it so quickly, which at first you could say there's no way that someone could absorb it that quick. But she's never learned before. Mm-hmm. She finds all of this interesting because, remember, Layla, Layla's never grown up. Layla's never gone to school. Layla's never been taught anything because Layla is fake. She's not real. And I feel like they really swung and missed on this because Mac and Brady at first are hesitant to tell Tanner and Layla that they are not real people. They don't want to hurt their feelings. And I think that they really should have played up on jaded reality yes more than they did 
Right. Because, again, this is they're not focusing on out of the movie. They're focusing on into the future. They are acting like women couldn't go to college in the 60s, which they absolutely could. It's just not something it was very unique when it happened because most women wanted to get married right away and start their family early. So the fact that Layla is saying it's so different here and I can do all of these things, you can do them in your own world in that time period, just not in your movie. Right. And there's, there's conflict there that never really gets fleshed out or addressed that would have added a lot more realistic drama to this movie. One of the better scenes that we get is when Mac and Layla split and go home and Tanner and Brady go to Brady's workshop. And I love how Brady just gives Mac or, or sorry, Brady just gives Tanner an iPad. <laughs> just like, yeah. like a Here, child. play with this. Here, go play with this. That is very Tanner, though, because every time he gets a device, he manages to turn the camera on. Yeah, and look at himself. But this is where you really start to see character growth specifically in Tanner. Because they flesh it out that Brady does not think that Mac will take the surfboard thing seriously, even though it's totally relevant to everything that she preaches about being motivated and being smart and giving, you know, being a professional and and having, you know, something that you're so passionate about. But specifically to Tanner, it's the first time you really start to see him fall apart because he's not in Wet Side Story anymore. He's in the real world that is not accepting of him because of how he looks, how he acts, the way that he dresses, the way that he breaks out into song. He has no... And remember, he's always been the leading man. So right. now he really doesn't know what to make of this existence. And more than that, he feels like he's losing Layla and that he is not enough for her. I think that this is probably Tanner's strongest scene Yep, in the franchise. And it's a shame that it's wasted on this garbage movie. The other thing I like about it, too, is that it makes his and Layla's relationship so much more real. Because it's like, again, the Groundhog's Day thing. We've seen them fall for each other. But her whole thing in the first film was, I know what boys like. And you've got to bat your eyes. And you've got to land a man and get married. And that's part of her character arc is that she Mac helps her to realize that there's more to life than that. For Tanner, all the girls fall all over him all the time. So this is where he see we, we start to see that he really does have feelings for Layla and it you know, it puts their it modernizes their relationship really. Then we're going to go to Mac's house. And if the movie had not completely fallen off the rails before if you hadn't basically completely undone everything about the first movie lines like but layla you have a boy that loves you mac first off so do you well layla does call her on that 
Right. But the fact that Max says that, I understand they were trying to set up this epiphany of I don't really know anymore and and I need to think about what my future is with Brady. It's 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 the easy way out. It's the easy way out and it's horrific screenwriting because the whole point of Mac being in Wet Side Story and she goes so far as to say and that's exactly the problem. Why does a girl need a boy to make her happy? And he goes because it's 1962. Right. Well, y- you just erased that entire line by saying, but you have a boy. Then she goes on to say that life is perfect. Your life is perfect in the movie. You spent the entire first movie teaching her that there is more to life and maybe it's not so perfect. Well, now it is again. Which is it? And I think that this is another instance of you have a strong character in Mac who falls victim to poor screenwriting. Right, because instead of focusing on you have a boy, Max got all of these conflicts with her and Brady right now, and and she's clearly stressed about school and her future and all of that. She should have focused on your life is written for you. Just go enjoy not having to overthink things so much. Yeah. Now, I I appreciate Layla's convictions, and maybe this is what they were trying to set up. But everything about Max's convictions are all out the window the minute she says those two lines. No, and I think this is where, and we're going to talk about the music, but this is where I think the story falls victim to the musical numbers because in the next scene, they reveal that they are characters in a movie with the play the scene number. Right. So I think it was all leading to that and doing that reveal. And that's why they were tiptoeing around the issue of not having Mac or Brady tell them, but you're a movie character. You're, you're, you know, two dimensional. Yeah. I'm fine with the cast of wet side story coming to the real world. But as I pointed out at the beginning of our conversation here, that is not how it played out at the end of the first film. No, they were already here. You can't go and change the entire setup. There, were, You could have just as easily done this with the entire cast, with the focus being on Layla doesn't want to go back, and now the cast starts disappearing in the real world. Right. Or even I think it would have been 10 times funnier if it really did pick up where the first one left off. And it's like, all right, Mac and Brady celebrate their anniversary. They go to school the next day and then the cast shows up there and they have to try and hide the cast. Yes. Throughout the film or something like that, because they're the only ones who know who they are. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're focusing on trying to send them back. Right. Maybe especially when you've got that many people. And I don't know, I'm just spinning here. They all go off in different directions. You've got to wrangle all of these kids and get them all to go back together because you've got one necklace. Right. There were a lot of ways they could have played it out, and they didn't, which would have made it a lot funnier because we've pointed out some funny, funny scenes and funny lines. Like, for example, Layla and Tanner have never seen an argument before because they live in that perfect little movie world. And right they see Mac and Brady arguing and Tanner goes, but they're not in rival gangs. You know, that is funny. It is funny, but so out of touch with reality, there's a lot 
here that works that is completely undone by everything that undoes the first movie. See, that doesn't bother me that much because it makes them less resistant to going back because they realize that the relationship is not perfect. Right. And theirs will be if they go back to their movie. Right. And I like the fact that they come back at what is clearly the enchantment under the sea dance. Oh, my God. Okay, right? It's not just me. It's not just me trying to bridge this franchise to other than the other two movies that I talk about every week. (laughs) What is also, if it weren't for those two, here's a perfect example. If the other two movie franchises that I talk about every week never existed, I'd have a favorite movie. It would be Back to the Future. That's the thing. If you didn't have your favorite movie... You'd have the next thing as your favorite movie. You know what's really funny is so this that is you, the enchantment under the sea dance. You talk so much about Ghostbusters and Batman on the show, and you compare a lot to them. But real world, off the mic, you compare almost everything to Back to the Future. Like that's the movie that you probably quote the most. It's like you talk about that more in your day to day than you do on the show. You know why? Because I think that. Back to the Future works, obviously, as a comparison to this movie, but Back to the Future is so unique, and it's not that Batman and Ghostbusters aren't, but Back to the Future isn't a drama, it's not an action, it's not really science fiction, whereas Batman and Ghostbusters... Ghostbusters specifically bleeds into sci-fi, horror, mm. action, comedy. There's there's a lot there, right? And there's the balance between good and evil. There's the spiritual end. There's entrepreneurship. It, there's, there's a lot there. And even Batman, you know, you're delving into this vigilante and somebody that should have a perfect life but does not have a perfect life. He's inherently very lonely. You can draw a lot of comparisons to those franchises. So you're right. I talk about those more on this show because I think you can. Back to the Future is so unique that, I mean, if you really stretch, you can find things in common. But it would be exactly that. It would be a stretch. No, it's in a class all by itself, but it's a perfect script. Like, I'm surprised... I don't do more comparisons to that. Just as far as it it is perfect screenwriting. And as silly as the third movie is, it's still one of my favorite sequels of all time. That's the thing with Back to the Future is three very good movies. You can't say that about all of the Ghostbuster films. You can't say that about all of the Batman movies. You can say that about Back to the Future. You know, unfortunately, you can't say it about Teen Beach either. I was going to say, let's go back to the sequel. So we go to the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. Oh, that's that's the other thing that bothers me. In <laughs> every, it, it bothers me in any movie that does a school dance. My prom was not this elaborate. Like, we had senior prom out, but junior prom was in the gym. And they did a great job. But it's like, how do you have... A band. Like, what? what is your budget for these dances where you have a band playing at the school dance? And how did you throw it together in a week? That's that's the thing. It looks cool. And I'm, I'm not just talking about Teen Beach Movie. I, I'm talking about any film that does it. 
it looks cool, but it looks like your art department did it. You got to make it look like kids threw this together with some cray paper and whatever the tiny budget was for the dance. Yeah, a couple of hundred bucks that they had. And and no school dance puts out bowls of punch anymore. No. They haven't done it since the 50s and 60s when kids started spiking it. It just doesn't happen anymore. I'd like to put that one out there. But they have their dance routine. We'll talk about the songs in just a couple of minutes here. Basically, I'm hoping we can talk about the songs in a minute. Anything that gets us off the plot at this point. (laughs) Up to and including now everybody, after they have their little song and dance, everybody has disappeared from the cast except for Tanner and Layla. So they go and they get the surfboard that Brady has designed that does not need waves in order to work. So basically, you just built a jet ski. Exactly. And you put it on a surfboard, which, which is, is fine. You, you, needed, you needed a means to make the movie work. No, and by the way, that is what they use when Tanner and Layla go off. I mean, it's, it's bad. You can tell they're on a jet ski. It's a jet ski. Um, but you're very concerned about making sure that Tanner and Layla get back into Wet Side Story. You've just watched the entire cast disappear. Mm-hmm. You have said, we can't waste any time. We got to go. And then you proceed to waste time. Waste time with conversation about, if this doesn't work, we'll not have actually met. And then you have to go into Meant to Be 2.0. And start singing it again. And now, not only are you singing it together, but then you bring Tanner and Layla in. If you Mm. are so concerned about wasting time, don't waste time. Well, I think the one thing that we know about musicals is that time stops for a musical number. So I will overlook that. But even when they go to get Brady's new board, instead of just grabbing it and having a one-off line like, Brady, where'd you get this? Oh, I built it. This is my house. They have like an entire conversation about his hobby and their relationship yeah and tanner's glitching at this point like he should by all intents and purposes be gone and you know what knowing how this ends and how layla gets her own movie i think that almost would have been more effective too was to have tanner disappear and send layla back on her own yeah a little harsh to tanner it's already harsh to tanner because he loses his leading man status it would have certainly made for it, it would have served the the movie better. I agree. I'm glad he didn't disappear, but I agree. I mean, you know, Titanic, if they're going to kill Jack, we can lose Tanner. They get sent back in time, back to their movie world. And you manage to completely undo three hours and ten minutes of a three hour and 15 minute movie franchise. <laughs> because... In spite of the fact that Brady would have had his favorite movie on his tablet regardless of what his favorite movie is, they've never met. Brady and Mac have never met. Where do they meet? They meet at the Save the Beach dance. Where's the Save the Beach dance? On the beach. Where's the dance floor? Where's the band? Where's the DJ? Well, now it's turned into a fundraiser, which goes back to Brady's original idea, is you're having this party with screening. Well, that's it. But I think they still referred to it as a dance. But it's not a dance. It's a drive-in movie on the beach at this point. Right. I mean, look, I I think there's something 
romantic about the fact that it ties up and they still find a way back to each other. So I like that despite rewriting Layla's movie, I I don't like that it, you know, throws their entire history off the rails, but I like the takeaway from it. It's that it's that they are meant to be and that no matter what, they are going to end up together. However, and they do have they address it in the beginning as a throwaway line um, when Brady's expressing his concern about the relationship. Um, he said we were in school for an entire year and we never met. So you do get the idea that it is a big school. They're not running in the same circles, whatever. So, OK, you give them this chance meeting but it's still not how it actually happened. I mean, forget the fact that Brady had to be sitting there on his tablet and he could have been watching whatever. Now the characters are reversed because she's the one who's familiar with the movie. And I get it. That does serve to Mac's character because Mac may not have been watching a musical, but she would have known about this feminist empowering Layla queen of the beach movie. But now she's the the genre fan and right. she's got to convince Brady. That's also what made Brady kind of endearing is that he did like this musical. That's that's not something that like a surfer dude is going to necessarily gravitate towards. Yeah, he was sort of out of the box that way. Yeah, and now, I don't mind the role reversal. That that doesn't bother me at all actually. I think it's contrived. You know, like, I mean, maybe it's because I've seen more romantic comedies than you where it's like the girl is obsessed with, like, this movie and she wants, like, the picture perfect. You know, she wants it to be like Mm -hmm. the movie. And then she's got to convince her boyfriend to watch it. I feel like that's so anti-Mac. If I have any issue with it at all, it's that, as Mac says, this movie went on to define an entire generation. And now you've got, on the beach... You've got the jocks, you've got the bookworms, you've got the surfers that are all about sitting here and watching this movie that is apparently beloved by all right. because it's like watching it's like watching people watch Rocky Horror where they start reacting to certain things that are happening on the screen because they've seen the movie a hundred times. And when you've got the surf king of, of the school coming off the beach, having never seen this surf movie, that's where it makes no sense. Right. That I have that's that's a bigger problem than him <clears throat> not necessarily uh, appreciating the genre of all people of all the people he he's saying I've never even heard of it that makes no sense when all of these other people have heard of it and and it's a surf movie and you're the surf guy that would be like if I had never heard of the movie Slapshot it, right. it does not make right. any sort of sense I also don't like how they. They just dumb Tanner down again. When when you see him on screen during the musical number, he does something dumb and everybody goes, oh, Tanner. And he just sits there with like this kind of dopey grin on his face. And you took a character who is obviously a cheese ball there for comedic effect. You grew him in the first movie. You really grew him in the second movie. Bye bye. Yeah. The fact that it, that you erase everything that you did. I, I don't think I can understate how disappointing it is that they just erased everything. And how I walk away from this movie sad. When I saw this movie <laughs> for the first time, I was sad. Because you, they never had their first adventure. It's true. It it literally undoes everything. Did you also notice how they give Tanner the rockabilly haircut? Yeah. 
in this rewritten movie and he's like no longer the surfer? Yeah. It it doesn't make any sort of sense. Not at all. I mean, I I like that Layla rewrote her own movie and and that all serves to the female empowerment end of it. But the other thing, and we had talked a little bit about this last week, is that she was supposed to learn from Mac. Right. Mac gave her the answer again. She told her to go do this. I feel like it would have been more effective if when they said goodbye, it was another moment where Layla's like, I'll never forget you. I'm going to take what I learned from you and I'm going to go write my own story. Yeah. I have, I, I, I have no problem with her changing the movie and being the star and rewriting the script. I just hate the fact that their entire adventure and in the entire first film never happened. No. And you know what I, I realized too, and maybe this does apply more to the music, which we're going to talk about, but you mentioned meant, meant to be 2.0, right? On my first viewing of this one, I thought it was Brady and Mac getting back together. Now knowing what I know, I almost feel like they're saying goodbye. And it almost sets up that they know they're going to undo everything. And it's more like they're telling each other, we're meant to be together. It's going to work out no matter what. But I feel like there's you don't realize there's more of a sadness to it. And it's almost like they're letting go and that they know this is going to happen. Maybe. I don't know, because the entire thing, the entire purpose behind getting Tanner and Layla back into the movie was so that they could save the movie and save their existence. Not, and I'm not just talking about right. the existence of Tanner and Layla, but the existence of their relationship. The whole thing was, if this doesn't work, we'll have never met. So you pulled it off and, and you still didn't meet? But again, that's where they really drop the ball with this. It it has to be about in and out of the movie. Yeah. And you're putting it in the context of changing the future. Yeah. Let's talk about the soundtrack. Best Summer Ever is the first song in the film that sounds like a modern pop hit, but they're singing it inside the world of Wet Side Story, and it doesn't fit. No. The, the song, if it was a little bit more rockabilly meets Beach Boy, meets Carol King. You know, all of the good things you did in the first movie that you have somehow forgotten about, it would have been fine. But it just, in terms of the sound, it does not work. See, that actually bothers me less than the content of what they're singing about. You're talking about best summer ever. These movies are supposed to embody endless summer. You're not even supposed to know what summer is. You live summer all the time. True. On my own. This is Ross Lynch singing this song in his workshop. I actually really like this song a lot. I do too. I think it sounds like 90s alternative rock. I think they were going for the radio hit. For sure. But I dig it. I feel like they could have explored this more, too, because, okay, he's got the surfboard hobby, but he's also doing music. I think that they could have maybe used that as an avenue, too, for his creativity. And, you know, they they never bring that full circle either, is that maybe he wins Mac over because now he's got goals and a direction. And I think that's also why they didn't end up doing a third film too, because how many times are you going to put their relationship in jeopardy and make it about, well, now they're going off to college. Yeah, very true. 
right where I want to be. This is the song that Tanner and Layla sing as soon as they come into the present day. And this is actually a number that I like a lot. Because it sounds like a throwback song from the 1960s. It sounds like something that would come from a 1960s musical. It sounds like everything they did right in the first one. But somehow they couldn't figure out in Best Summer Ever. But I like the feel of the throwback in the present day. I think it works perfectly. I think the choreography is pure cheese. It comes off as something that you'd see in a satire, like when they did the Brady Bunch movies in the 90s. Right. But it works. That's the thing. It works for what they're doing here. Again, I feel like this is a place where they could have focused more on these two characters are lost in a world that's not their own as opposed to the future. But it's a catchy song, catchy number. Nonetheless, it, it feels more like the first one than anything else that they've done. Fallen for you. 2.0. I love Chi Chi singing this. Yeah, it had kind of like a Supremes feel to it. Yeah. Going back and forth with her and then with Jordan Fisher. We didn't need it, but it was fun. Yeah, I thought they were going to do a little bit more with it, too, where maybe Chi-Chi falls and Sea uh, Cat catches her. And then it could have developed more of a conflict within Wet Side Story. I mean, I, I like the disappearing better. I think the, that raises the stakes more. But it would have been interesting to play with the idea of, like, what if we don't need Layla and Tanner? Yeah. Speaking of do we need Layla and Tanner? Oh, boy. Twist your frown upside down. I'm going to let you bat lead off on the song Twist Your Frown Upside Down in the outdoor cafeteria that maybe it's because we live in the Northeast that I've never seen anything like this before, <laughs> but I've never seen anything like this before. Um, I hate everything about this. I hate the song. I think it's terrible. I hate the scene. I think it's unrealistic. I get what they were trying to do. At this point, Layla and Tanner are assimilating into the real world. They haven't completely transformed. Like, they're still in their 60s clothes. Their hair still is not getting wet. So they haven't gone fully to the other side yet. But we see that their world does have a little bit of power here and people are falling into the musical. But to me... I don't think they should have been able to win everyone over in that regard. I think it goes against like they're they're getting it it falls too much into what happens in the first one where Mac and Brady are stuck in their world. We bought the characters here. They shouldn't be bending the world around them. So, I actually think this is a great scene for Tanner and Layla. I think it's funny that I don't think they're winning anybody over. I think because they haven't morphed into real life Tanner and Layla at this point, because they haven't assimilated into the real world, that they still have the ability to break out into random song and that they have that effect on those around them. Because those around them are sort of uh, hesitating they they don't they're not necessarily on board but yet somehow they're still smiling and dancing and singing and as soon as the music stops they realize that we're never going to speak about this again and and we should have never done this i think that's the ma- the quote for lack of a better term the magic of tanner and layla but what i don't like about it is that mac and brady are involved 
weed them out of it. Yes. Because it takes the comedy out. Mm -hmm. It would have been funnier if they would have sat there mortified watching as these two people who they've tried to hide get the cafeteria to break out into song and how can we how can we hide them from everybody moving forward and prevent this from happening again well i guess that's where i don't like it too is that it goes against again the first one in the first one it's 3 quarters of the way into the movie where Mac realizes that her hair is not getting wet anymore and she randomly bursts out into song. Yeah, I can't stop singing. Yes. And here, it's about halfway through the movie and it took an entire musical in the first one to force Mac to sing. Here, it's only the two of them and they got an entire school to sing. Again, I feel like this is where it would have been more effective if they had the whole cast of Wet Side Story, you know, influencing this cafeteria scene. Sure. Silver Screen. I think this is an impressive scene. I love this number. This one I actually do really the like. The number's great, but to piggyback off of what we just said, I liked it better when Mac and Layla, or when Mac and Brady, only broke out into random songs in Wet Side Story. And they didn't just break out into random numbers. Because how, how did they even manage to break out into a random musical number in the real world? Well, they did say... You know, they do address it and they said that um, we have to explain this to them in terms that they can understand. So I think if they just would have sang them a song and instead of using all of these elaborate sets to really break off into a musical number, if they would have just used things like if they had maybe put them in a different setting other than the beach, maybe they were at school or maybe they were max house brady's house just somewhere and they were picking up things around them to make it look like you know like you could have even grabbed a towel off the beach and thrown yep. it over your shoulder like the director's towel or picked up a road cone and make it look like the megaphone or something like that if they had used more random objects i think that would have been more effective here yeah because the whole thing the whole purpose of the first movie I don't know that this movie knows that there was a first movie. Um, <laughs> the whole purpose was for them to kind of play off the idea that we break out into random numbers because we're stuck in a musical. We're stuck in a film. That's not the case anymore. You're not in the movie. So you shouldn't be able to just break out into random song, if it's if it's Brady and Mac, that is. Right. With dancers and sets and props Right, because in the musical, you can snap your fingers and have all of those things at your disposal. Because it's a movie. That was the point. Exactly. Here, they should have had to create their own musical in a matter of 30 seconds. Gotta be me. The song at the Enchantment Under the Sea. I mean, the Save the Beach dance. <laughs> I think the choreography is better than the actual song. Yeah, definitely. Choreography, lighting, the scene overall is better better than the content of the song because it also doesn't really address the argument in their relationship either no. because Max's issue was that Brady was lying to her. Brady's issue was that he's bending over backwards and she seems to not be able to give him the time of day and they're making it seem like, you know what this is, honestly? Oh, I hate it so much more now. It's Greece. It's, they're they're trying to create this message of you need to love me for who I am. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. 
I, the, to me, this is the um, this is the least offensive song in the movie in terms of taking what was great and throwing it in the garbage. Because I think by far the worst song in the franchise, one of the worst songs we've ever spoken about on this show. Oh, dear it's God. not bop to the top bad, though it is close, is That's How We Do. Let me understand something. Layla rewrites the movie to become Layla Queen of the Beach. She becomes a role model. She changes pop culture. She changes society. And the song that opens this influential, groundbreaking movie that changed the world is bubble 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 la topple 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 la oh zip a zip a rattly do. <laughs> this is like a vignette between shows on Nick Jr. That's how this whole thing plays out. I don't buy for one second that a group of high school kids will pop up and start singing rattly do at a fundraiser. I don't believe that this song does any justice for Layla Queen of the Beach. I don't think it has anything to do with Layla Queen of the Beach. I don't think it has anything to do with Teen Beach Movie. It has no message. It's just gobbledygook. <laughs> um, I disagree with you. I think this is worse than Bop to the Top. Bop to the Top, I actually believe Sharpay singing and, and doing a completely bubblegummy song. Even though I hate the lyrics... I believe it in the context of Layla, Queen of the Beach, because I think they were going for that, like, Grease era, end with a full cast number, we go together. So I'll buy the wacky words, but this goes back to what you said before with you've got the jocks, the surfers, the popular kids coming together to watch this movie that somehow they all know and somehow they all love and they're all going to burst out into this song? Right, well I just said that. It doesn't make any sense that they're going to sing Rattly Do. No. Here's the thing. We Go Together from Greece makes sense yeah. because if you think about the lyrics, we go together like Wamp Amalumamba, Wamp Bamboo, alright, that's stupid. Together forever like you da 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 Chang 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 the That's the way it should be. While well, yeah, we're one of a kind. Like dip 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 do up the dooby doo. You gonna do the whole thing? But the I could do the whole thing. We're gonna get hit with a copyright issue. It, well, I'm not. But it makes sense because they're they they Greece has now told a complete story. It's it's contrived and it's silly, but they have told a complete story, which has now circled back around to similar to this. We've got. The bikers, we've got the goody two-shoes. Right. We don't belong together, and we've gone through a year of high school, and we've tried to change who we are for the other person, and we didn't have to change who we are for the other person because we go together. That's the way it should be. Wow, yeah. they are. It's a perfect ending to what is a what is a wacky film and it's cheesy and it's not all that great but it makes sense well it also bubble 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 fizzle 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 rattly do doesn't mean anything well i think and this is the most i will say on greece that's also derived from another song that uh you know who was that man i'd like to shake his hand he made my baby yeah, fall in yeah, love with yeah. me yeah that that's derived from there it rips off the lyrics but anyway 
and that's the most complimentary thing I will probably ever say about Greece. But in this case, I don't even think the cast, and I'm not talking about the cast of What Side Story. I am thinking our cast yeah. believes what they are singing. I think it looks like Maya Mitchell has a smile plaster on her face and she's doing the dance moves and she's really like, what am I singing? She almost looks the same as she does in... Um, I, uh, I can't stop singing. Yes. Why can't I? Why can I never think of the name of that song? Yeah, that's that's how she looks, and I'd I'd buy it more if she was doing that. Um, but I think, and I like that the way that the movie starts with "Best Summer Ever," where it parallels Brady and my and uh, <laughs> Brady, and, Brady Mac. and Mac dancing on the beach, and and they're doing the same choreography as the movie, and it cuts back and forth really nicely. I wish they had done that here, but it would have made so much more sense if they did the female empowerment song. And if it was really about Mac and Layla singing it together, kind of the way that they did, um, you know, in the first film where it was like me. Yeah. And Layla saying how she knows how to land a guy and Mac is saying how she knows how to be independent and it all comes together really nicely and they can sing the duet against each other. Now maybe they do something like that and it parallels each other where it's like, I can have it all. And then they have Brady and Tanner singing background and supporting them. If you're going to prove the point of the whole movie, even if you want to give Brady and Mac or, or I'm sorry, Brady and Tanner a bigger role in the song and maybe not even go for the whole girl power thing. They still could have done two duets singing parallel together and it would have been infinitely better than what they gave us. Final synopsis or final final review here. I mean, what else do I need to say? You completely undid the first film. I would be okay if there were a couple of deviations that maybe didn't make so much sense and maybe it's like you lost track of the time travel or whatever and certain things just didn't line up. But in this case, you just completely destroyed what was a great film. Um, I think you, you dumbed down characters you destroyed what was a powerful message and you lost the potential to really hit home with the girl power message. Um, you know, and that's, that's really what teen beach movie is, is known for is that it, it did create a, a female empowerment movie and, and it righted the wrong of the genre that it's based on. They really squandered every opportunity they have to not only make this a good sequel, but to make it a very powerful franchise. And it's no wonder that they didn't do a third one. A, because I think telling the story of Brady and Mac going off to college and again presenting their relationship as a, what do I do? You know, do I pick college based on a boy? It would have been the same thing as the first film and they wouldn't have grown as characters at all. But... I would have liked to see a third movie in some other capacity. And I think that had they ended this one differently, they may have been able to figure out a way to do that. I think that this movie lives up to every stereotype of a decom. I think that people 
of a certain age look at DCOMs as being silly, being fluffy, being cheap, being made for babies. And I think that this movie lives up to it. I think that this has absolutely no charm that the first movie has. I think I've gone on enough about how upset I was knowing that the first movie never happened, knowing that the adventure they went on wasn't real anymore. So I'll never watch this again. <laughs> this is my Toy Story 4. Yep. There is no Dana. There is only Zool. There is no Teen Beach Movie 2. There is no Toy Story 4. There is no Teen Beach Movie 2. I live in the world where Teen Beach Movie is its own film. Because there is virtually nothing about this movie that is redeeming. And I have no reason to ever watch it again. And I'm fine with that. No, we won't. We will just live in Teen Beach movie, period, end of story. In fact, we went back and watched Teen Beach again yesterday. I, just just to get kind of like, see, like, did we miss something? No, because, I mean, admittedly, I was not, I mean, I wasn't really familiar with either of them, but I went back to the first one to really pick it apart. After a couple of viewings, I really wanted to see where the timeline didn't match up. And and the beginning is so confusing as far as are we a week before school? I mean, we know it's the night before school, but like it, it throws off the first one as far as how much more of summer vacation was left. Um, and then, you know, I wanted to see now knowing what I know about the second one, how much it, it unravels every single aspect of the first one. And that's the biggest miss of this entire thing is that you focus too much on time travel and how changes to the film affect the real world when they shouldn't affect the real world. It should just be in the context of what happens when these characters pop out of a movie. But we're interested in hearing your review of the film. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us monorealradio at gmail.com. I really can't believe we have spent more time talking about both of these films as two adults than the running time of the actual films. Yeah. Um, I, I can believe it for the first movie. I kind of can't believe it for the second one. It's just so much wrong with it. News this week. D23 announced that we are getting a new documentary uh, with Don Hahn. He's hosting it. Uh, called Adventure Through the Walt Disney Archives. The Disney Archives are getting ready to celebrate their 50th anniversary, so they have put this documentary or this series together um, exclusive for D23 Gold members. So if you want to watch this, uh, you know, this series or this documentary, you have to have the paid membership to D23. I really appreciate that they're doing that because I've said it to you a couple of times. I don't know if I've voiced it on the show. Maybe not. But um, I was beginning to feel like, what are we paying for with our D23 membership? Because, you know, they send us magazines in the mail. They send us limited edition pins, which are lovely. But there are pictures of them on D23 social media before we even get them in the mail. So number one, 
everybody can see them. And number two, it's like now the joy of like opening it up and, and seeing what's in there. And I, I realize they have to sell the membership. I get it. But I was beginning to feel like there's not as much exclusive access by being a member or even, you know, now with we got to do the tour of the Burbank studios because we were members. And now that's opened up to everybody that I agree with though. I think everybody who is a Disney fan should be able to have that experience or even just a movie fan that's into film history because of what Walt did and how much he gave to the industry. I think you should be able to just go and book that tour and, and be able to learn about it. But again, it's like you're stripping down what made our membership exclusive. And it's like, all right, what are you going to give us? So I'm happy about this. And sorry to anybody who is not a member. I don't mean to rub your nose in it, but I was beginning to feel like I may as well just light 80 bucks on fire. I didn't feel quite that same way because I do like reading the magazine, but we can go with your thing. Um, <laughs> and Hong Kong Disneyland is set to reopen this coming Thursday. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see now Shanghai has been open for a few weeks and it seems to be going okay. Universal in Orlando had some hiccups for its media day, but have since seemed to have figured out what they're doing. Great. It's opening. I mean, listen, I'm not going to speculate or, or say anything other than it's opening and, Hopefully people can keep with their distancing and we can start getting back to normal or whatever normal is going to be. That's the hope. Well, thank you for joining us this week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like us on social media. Again, that's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. You can always email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. Or, of course, check out monorealradio.com where you have... Uh, access to every episode of Monoreal Radio, or you could also go back and listen to us on your podcast platform of choice. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button, and please, if you have the time, we would love for you to review us on iTunes, because we've been able to get you guys some great content over the last couple of weeks. We want to keep getting you great content, and uh, you know we're always working to get something new and exciting on the show, and uh, having those iTunes reviews certainly does help in getting the show exposed. Don Hahn. I want to interview Don Hahn. That's what we're aiming for. So please give us a review. Yes, you said it best. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.